that we felt you know was was still missing was uh, a more fleshed out understanding of more of the getting more into the details and understanding more of the specifics of uh, of Beit Hamikdash because I would say when we're in Israel we focused on um, the generalities of the korbanot we started with the Beit Hamikdash in general and what its purpose is we talked about the big day the different categories of korbanot the tumah how all of these different components come together and we talk about it from a lot of different angles like in the big picture we really did that but we didn't get too too much into uh into the nitty-gritty to sort of flesh out that uh that picture and uh and understand how it how it expresses itself i would say in the mechanics of the actual beta mcdash and the actual korbanot because that's something that obviously is a very vast subject uh, and would take a really long time to uh, to exhaust, but we definitely can try to uh, extend our understanding more and uh, and have a better grasp of the um, the meat and potatoes of the topic. Let's say in the sense that we we sketched an outline, and I think we did touch on a lot of material in those shiurim. We couldn't have not, but um, although I don't remember all the all that we did and didn't do, uh, we certainly. Left a lot to be, uh, you know, a lot to still be learned. And the more that we learn it and appreciate it, I think the more that we, um, I think one of the things we learned in uh, Israel is that the more you, you know, at first it seems like a very, very remote topic and a topic that doesn't really grab you too much in theory. But once you start to explore it and to uncover the ideas and, and see the uh, the beauty of it and the, the chokhmah in it, so then it draws you in and you, you feel like um, you've been missing a whole a big chunk of uh, of Judaism for for all this time that you kind of like shut off your brain from Parashat uh, Truma until the end of uh, Sefer Vayikra, so uh, uh, up for all these years, and now you realize that there's you know that there's so much more to it, which is great, and that's just an opening of the door to uh, to be able to explore it more. So I, I, we're not going to be able to cover everything in the time that we have allotted either, but we can definitely do more. and And I think a we great starting next point. Five weeks, yeah, that, well, weeks, that's what yeah. I, that's what I thought we do. <coughs> I, I what I want to try the, the way I would do it, and again, like I didn't really like prepare some kind of like beginning, middle and end type of shiur, but just to give you some highlights, maybe um, based on how the Rambam presents it. And, uh, and that way we can have a uh, more of a grounded understanding. We'll still try to stick with that broad perspective and I'll still recommend to everyone to listen to the recordings to fill out some of that framework so we don't have to review it and rehash it too much. I'm sure it will come up. Uh, but that way we'll, uh, you know, we'll be able to uh, walk away with uh, more of a firm grasp of, of what the function of the Beit HaMikdash is and, and, what the, um, and, and what the function of the Korbanot uh, is also. Um, and we're, and uh, tonight is dedicated to, tell me the name, Matitya ben Lavi and Rachel Bat Yosef. We're going to, uh, I think... Start at the beginning of what the Rambam talks about is the best place to start is, is, is the very beginning. Uh, and, and that's the, the, the construction of the Beit HaMikdash. Okay, now we talked about in our Shiurim in Israel, the, the, the first, if you go back to, uh, back in Chumash, to the earliest time that the, the concepts of Beit HaMikdash and Avodah okay. are being introduced... Skipping Cain Vehevel, let's say, which is pre, uh, pre-Judaism, skipping Noach, um, is really Avram Avinu, first of all, Akedat Yitzchak, uh, being the prototype 
for future korbanot because it actually takes place on Haram Oriyah, which I remember we did discuss in, in one of our shirim in a lot of detail, and also Brit Ben Abitarim, which in Brit Ben Abitarim, Hashem, when, when Avram Avinu, according to Chazal, Avram Avinu asks Hashem, how will it be that my descendants will be worthy of inheriting the land? And the answer is they're going to have a Beit HaMikdash. So the idea that... Um, that the Beit HaMikdash serves a corrective function. In other words, that he recognizes that his children won't always be at the highest level of development and awareness of God. But the unique phenomena, the unique institution of the Beit HaMikdash is that it allows the Jews, it allows humanity, really, but, you know, Am Yisrael to constantly recalibrate and uh, refocus on their mission and on their purpose and on their fundamental values and ideals uh, rather than being lost. And I remember one of the Midrashim that we talked about was that Avraham Avinu said, oh, you know, uh, my children will just become like Gadora Mabul. They'll become like Gadora Palaga. And we were talking about what, why, would he, why would he assume that the alternative is them becoming so bad as Dora Mabul? Why, why would he think his children are going to become that bad? We understand how they're not all going to be philosophers on the level of Avraham Avinu. Why would, be that, why would they be that bad? The idea is without a framework... The nature of any growing population is that either it's going to have no sense, no, uh, no way to orient itself at all, which was what Dora Mabul was. They didn't have any framework at all, and it just descended and disintegrated into uh, total chaos. Or you have, like Dora Palaga, that they had a distorted vision of what really a, a human-centered uh, uh, worship of civilization or worship of the state, worship of mankind, whatever Dora Palaga was really about, the, the building, the Migdal Bavel, so you, uh, you know, Avraham Avinu was worried that, look, what's going to happen to my descendants? Either they're going to just be dispersed and be lost and have no way to keep themselves together and stay united around any uh, uh, framework of values, or they're going, they could potentially replace the framework that I have with an alternate framework, which is a corrupt one. And so the Beit HaMikdash is meant to uh, fill that void. And that even, even in the Dayeno, we say that at the end. We say in the end of Dayeno that he gave us the Beta Bechirah al Kol Right? He gave us the Beta Mikdash for Kol you know, Lechaper. Why is that the last thing we're thanking Hashem? He, bring, he, he brought us to Eretz Yisrael and he gave us the Beta Mikdash. What does that mean? It means that it's not, it's not enough just to have the uh, Eretz Yisrael. Because the Beta Mikdash is what orients the, uh, those who live in Eretz Israel towards their, their purpose. In other words, they can lose sight very easily and just become uh, like any other nation. And so that's, that's the, uh, that, that was a little bit of what we, what we talked about. We talked about the significance of the Akedah. We talked about the significance of, of, uh, uh, you know, of the, the, the fact that the, the Bet HaMikdash is on, is on Haramoriah, which... The, the Chazal say in Masechet Vachim that the reason why the, the Hashem chose that, chose that location was because it straddles Shevet Yodan, Shevet Binyamin, and since it was necessary for the Sanhedrin also to be located in the same place as the, uh, the Beit HaMikdash, so therefore the mountain was chosen, even though it wasn't the highest mountain, it was chosen in order to accommodate both of these things, which shows you how essential Torah and Limud Torah and instruction of Torah is to the Beit HaMikdash. It's actually more fundamental than the Korbanot. What does that have to do with Yehuda yeah. and Binyamin? Because Yehuda is, uh, uh, is the <clears throat> Mechokek. The Yehuda is, the, is always going to be the, the one that's in charge of uh, law and in charge of uh, legislation. And, and therefore Yehuda is associated with the, um, with the, with the, uh, with the Torah and the, the Limud Torah. Obviously Malchut also comes from Yehuda, but that was the idea of that. And the Korbanot, obviously, Binyamin 
is uh, had the zechut of having the mizbeach in, in Shevet Binyamin. So you have uh, you have the two together. But the idea is that Torah is not, an, and you also see that what that the, when it talks about going up to the to the location of the Sanhedrin in order to ask a question, it also says, it says you should go ella kohen asher so it says it's a mitzvah always for there to be at least one Kohen and the Sanhedrin also. So there's like a, an, a purposeful intertwining of the Avodah, the Beit HaMikdash, which would seem to be just a, a very physical kind of Avodah with the true Avodah, which is the Avodah Tefillah and Torah, which is the, really the essential mission of the Beit HaMikdash is that. Right. The, essential the essential mission is not L'Chaper It is, but that's how it does it. Uh-huh. In other words, like... Why such an uh, obsession with... Kapara, like why is it it's so fundamental to the human condition? It's like it says uh, Adam not Kapara, but also Christianity is focused around love it. So focused around Kapara. So yeah, the, the, you know, the Rambam and the Ralbag, they both talk about that a lot. They talk about the idea that korbanot give a person a feeling of closure, that they don't feel eternally burdened by whatever chata'im that they've done. But it's, I think it's more than that. <clears throat> there's, a, uh, there's a process of, um, in other words, a per, like today we don't have a system to get a person back on track. There's no specific system. In the times of the Beit HaMikdash, if a person was obligated to bring a korban because they did a certain chet, they go into this realm of the Beit HaMikdash, into this whole framework, which is not just a place of Korbanot, it's actually a place of Torah and a place of Chokhmah. Right. So it's a place where they're automatically interfacing with and being influenced, hopefully, by mm-hmm. the Chachmei HaTorah also. So there's, like the Sephorno talks about it in a few places, and the Sefer Chinuch talks about it. Why do you take the Maser Sheni up to Yerushalayim? What's the benefit of eating it in Yerushalayim? What, to stimulate the economy of Yerushalayim? Why, why do you have to do all these things in Yerushalayim? And he says... The benefit was that you would go there, let's say, to eat your Maser Sheni, or you would go there to bring your Korban, and you would end up learning Torah from the Kohanim, the Levi'im, and the Chachamim, who were centered also in Yerushalayim. So it becomes the, um, uh, so the draw is, oh, I did, a, I did something that requires me to bring a Korban, but we take advantage, basically, of that. It's not merely that you recognize that you were off track and therefore you have to bring a korban, but then you get engaged in the positive, which is, it's not just a disciplinary measure, it's actually a way to get you in the door, and now it opens a whole world. Yeah. So the kapara uh, gives you a clean slate, and now you have the Torah to turn to. Right, now you're, you're engaged in, a, in your, your energy. What is kapara really? What's a, kapara is different than, than, uh, than slicha or mechila. It's, it's a, um, the, the, the ultimate goal of the kapara is a redirecting of the energy into the good. Right? So you could have a person, let's say, who becomes Tamei and he's a Zav, or a person is Tamei and they're a Mitzvah or something like that. And there's two stages of becoming able to resume normal uh, participation in the Beit HaMikdash. One is, uh, one is pure purification, right? the process of Tarah, which is, you know, involves, in, depending on the case, all kinds of different rituals. But then there's something called being a, a being mechusrei kapara. Mechusrei kapara means I still have to bring a korban before I'm fully done, which means that I have to not just get rid of whatever the negative is, but I have to reinvest energy in avodat Hashem. The first step is bringing the korban, but that's only the first step along a journey of reconnecting. Um, it represents the idea that I'm taking my resources and I'm putting them where it's important. 
In other words, that's really what the korban is. The korban is that I'm taking money, basically, like the most valuable, most valuable item you have, your livestock, you're taking that and you are giving it to God, meaning to say that you're showing that the, the most important thing in your life, the thing that you are willing to make sacrifices for, literally, the thing you're willing to invest in, right, is the service of God. That is what's most important. And um, that's like the difference between Cain and Hevel, because Cain, even though Cain initiated the idea of bringing korbanot, he didn't give up the best. He gave something. He wanted to throw a bone to God. He said, look, God did, you know, did a lot for me, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him something, you know, on the side, give him a little tip. Thank you, God, for, for helping me out. Whereas Hevel brings, he brought the best of the best. What does it mean to bring the best? It means there's nothing higher than, than God. Right? I'm, not, I'm not just giving something to God. Really, this is about me. I'm, I was very successful, but I, I have to give some acknowledgement. I have to thank the academy. I have to thank the, my agent. I have, to, I, I have to thank God right, for, for, for bringing me to where I am. Right? That's, that's, that's Cain's type of bringing Koban. Hevel saying, no, whatever I have is Hevel, which is, you know, that's his name. It's, you know, meaning whatever I have is the real ultimate purpose of all that I have. It came from God and it goes to God. It's all about Hashem. He's at the center. He's the ultimate. So that's what a korban is really supposed to do. It's supposed to, that's why, let's say, Shlomo Melech is bringing tens of thousands of korbanot to dedicate the Beit HaMikdash because it doesn't mean anything to him. It's like a billionaire gives a dollar. He has to give enough that it's showing something. I'm, make, I'm demonstrating a substantial investment in this enterprise. It's not a small thing. So for most people to bring a korban was a big deal. You, real, you see that's why they have like for a poor person, sometimes, you know, the Tawaz is they bring less, they bring a cheaper thing because uh, it was expensive. It was one of the most expensive things a person could have would be, would be an animal. So they, you know, but that's the, the whole concept of investing and bringing the korban is a demonstration that it is your, of refocusing of your priorities. But that's not the end of the road. That's only the beginning because you see that ki beti bet Really, it's a bet tefillah. Bet tefillah means a place where a person reflects on what's really important, reflects on what's really significant. The house of tefillah. And it was ki mitzion Torah was a place of instruction and Torah. That was the primary goal of the bet HaMikdash, even though the mechanism by which a person would enter into the realm of the Beit HaMikdash was usually via a korban that they had to bring, okay? Or an obligation of bringing a korban. That, but the, but, and the Rambam, when he talks about the, uh, and then we can get a little bit into what he says, mitzvot So there's a minimum amount of times you have to be there, right? That's, that's, part, of the, uh, that's part of the deal. It's a place that's for bringing korbanot and, and that you have to go there three times a year. Sheneo vasuli mikdash. Right? So, we, so that's the, uh, the, the institution of the, it's a place that is set up for bringing korbanot and that a person has to go at least three times a year. Right? Now, what is the pasuk? What pasuk? The Rambam gives a pasuk for every one of his books. This pasuk is supposed to give us some insight into the theme of the book. What's the pasuk for Sefer Avodah? Who knows? It's a pasuk you say all the time. But you might not associate it with Sefer Avodah, but it's a pasuk you say all the time. What? That's at the beginning, beginning. Good guess, though. It's Sha'alui Shalom Yerushalayim Yishlayu Ovaich. Okay? Which is, seek the peace of Jerusalem. 
those who love it will have respite, will have shalva, whatever, whatever the word is. Serenity. Serenity. We, we always need you here for English. My English is very poor. So, right, serenity, that's a good word, right. So what does that have to do with Avodat Hashem? The Rambam has it there for a reason. He didn't just say, you know, I want to make this like kind of a cool book, so I want to put a pasuk in to make it seem, you know. Like people put a quote at the beginning of chapters in books. Yeah. You know? It wasn't, he, he, he originated that idea. It was a good trend. Yeah, started the trend. What is the re- what, what's the connection between that and Avodah? What's sh- seeking the peace of Yerushalayim? <clears throat> they have that pasuk, by the way, in the Tachanam Merkazit. The framework of Abu Dhabi. Yeah, it makes, makes the framework of our Abu Dhabi. It doesn't say anything about God. That's why they let it pass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's why. Otherwise, a chilonim would say, why? Why? Why is it the framework of Abu Dhabi? What is shalom? It seems like shalom is the key term, right? Oh, Seeking the shalom, Yerushalayim, and Yishlai and the people who love Jerusalem, they're going to be... Um, we're going to have serenity. I like that word. Shalom, the wholeness. Right, meaning? So therefore what? Complete state, where all the tools we have of doing our without Hashem is available. Okay, us. good. That shalom with yourself. Go and become whole with yourself because you get rid of whatever's <coughs> kapara. Yeah. Right, that would be like on the individual level. Right. Peace, peace with Hashem. You're like you give a korban. It's like giving a gift. Like you're getting rid of like the bad blood, so to speak, that there may be for Avonot. Right. So the the two halves of the pasuk are kind of like uh, interesting because shalom shalom Yerushalayim could be talking about that that sort of dual. Uh, dual role of the Beit HaMikdash because the Beit HaMikdash is a national institution, obviously. Um, But it's also a place that uh, individuals uh, benefit from. In other words, it's it's something which is a, uh, which is both a representative of the nation as a whole, what the goal and the values and the ideals of the nation as a whole are supposed to be, what they, what we strive for officially as Am Yisrael, but it's also a place that individual goes to demonstrate their allegiance to or their involvement or their participation in those values. So shalom, really, if you think about it, what is peace? Yes, it has to do with being whole, but it's more than that. Shalom, what really enables a person to have, what really enables individuals to have peace? You counsel people, so what's the answer? Yeah, peace is... Interconnected. Yes, but how so? Like, let's say you could have a couple that's very interconnected, but they don't necessarily have peace. They could be, they could have one bank account and very, uh, in you know, interconnected. But what what makes shalom is having unity of purpose. Because conflict is when you have different, you have two people or two groups that are in conflict with respect to their objective. Whatever the objective is, it could be territorial, it could be, uh, usually it's a material objective. Um, it, could, if it, it could be for kavod, which is also really a material objective, but uh, academics like to think that they're superior to the rest of us and say that they're seeking truth, but they really want, you know, they really want kavod. Not all of them. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to, you know, put a whole group in that. But if you read like the double helix or something like that and see like the 
vicious cutthroat um, competition among uh, among even great minds. So the uh, the the idea of shalom as being when all of the when all of the elements of a system are directed at, at the same purpose, they're all collaborating together in service of the same aim. Then you have peace. When you have conflicting aims, conflicting objectives, the same resources, but one faction or individual wants to deploy them towards one objective, and another faction or individual wants to deploy those resources for another purpose, so that's when you end up in conflict. And conflict will happen, that's the, you know, the very, very famous, everybody, you know, it's a cliche almost, you know, that ish v'isha makes ish, if you take the yud, the yud and the hay out, you know, but that's, that's really what that's talking about, the idea that when the couple sees their ultimate purpose as serving God, then they're, I, I, hypothetically, you know, hypothetically, there should never be any conflict because uh, it should just be always just be a question of, well, what's the best decision to uh, serve God and our values? You know, that that should be the only question. And so then there's, it's like a chavruta. It's not a, it's not a battle. You know, you can have a battle over ideals, but it won't be a battle, meaning in terms of you can have an, a disagreement about what the best, just like Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai, but it wouldn't be personal, you see? So shalom is when, the, so the idea that the Beit HaMikdash, Sha'alu Shalom Yerushalayim, seek the peace of Jerusalem means that the Beit HaMikdash really, and that's why it's Sefer Avodah, because it means that the Beit HaMikdash represents the idea that Am Yisrael in its totality, but especially the city of Yerushalayim that has a certain Kiddushah because it represents this idea and it's not part of the, it's, it's not uh, part of any individual Shevet. It doesn't belong to any individual Shevet. It's the capital city, right? So therefore, it represents the nation, it represents the nation as a whole. It represents that which transcends any factions within the nation and just reflects what is the ultimate purpose of Am Yisrael, which is Avodat Hashem, like you said, but that is really seeking the peace of Jerusalem means seeking that all of the resources and all of the energies and all of the focus of the nation should be on Avodat Hashem. And those who love Jerusalem, meaning those who really appreciate that and really uh, partake of that, are going to have great serenity themselves. They're going to have great peace of mind themselves because what gives a person peace of mind is that they are part of this system that is directed towards this transcendent goal. That's what gives the... And, and that if they fall off the horse, they're able to get back on through the vehicle of the Beit HaMikdash, but even better that they didn't fall off. They're just coming to bring a Korban Ola or Korban Shlamim to, to, to refocus, to, to intensify their focus on Avodat Hashem, not because they did a chit. Right? That's a Korban Nedava. The Sefer Vayikra starts with Korban Nedava. Adam ki mikem korban, it's just for the purpose of intensifying their connection and, and deepening their connection. So, because you're not allowed to go for nothing, you have to go for something. So you, you go with a, velo uh, yera upanay reikam. You have to go with some, you have to have something to break. So, there, so therefore you, uh, you go uh, with the intent of uh, uh, getting closer to God, not necessarily because you did any chet, but the person who loves that who recognizes the good of that, that's the person who is going to have an inner peace also, because that means that they 
their energies likewise are, are directed at that at the collective uh, goal of Avodah Hashem. Whereas discord and conflict and, uh, and uh, war and all other such things happen when there are conflicting objectives. And a conflicting objective means that it's in the material world. Because once you step out of the material world and you're focused on Hakadosh Baruch Hu, there's no, there's no reason to be to have conflict except about the way to do it, the way to accomplish it. But there's no reason for there to be personal conflict over that. It becomes a question of becomes theoretical discussion of what the best way to approach God is. But that's really you still have shalom. Like it always talks about Beit Ilan Beit Shammai, they would argue and fight with each other, but at the end they were best friends and loved each other. They didn't see each other as enemies. Right? Because they were, they were working towards the same goal. The same goal is the goal of emet. That's it. So that's the, the idea of the Beit HaMikdash. And who builds the Beit HaMikdash? Who has to build the Beit HaMikdash? Also in the sky. The, before that. <laughs> before that, who originally did it? Everyone. Who's obligated? Shalosh mitzvot nitztavu Yisrael. The king has to build. Not Elvis. That's old. That's only for the old people. We'll get that one. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's, a, that's what they used to. That's what they used to call. Them. Um, right. So, so the um, so the king has to do it. Why the king? Why specifically the king has to do it? I would think because he represents the people. But because what is the king? The king is the ultimate earthly power that we have. He is the he, he concentrates and represents within himself the entirety of the political and economic force of the, of the nation. And what does he do? He subordinates that to Malchut Shemayim. Right? So that, and that's exactly why Shlomo HaMelech, what does it talk about? It talks about him building the Beit HaMikdash in such detail as soon as he consolidates his kingdom and removes all of the potential conflicts that there might be. Right? He consolidates kingdom and he begins working on that. And of course, the implicit critique is that he's also, meanwhile, you know, building his own, uh, building his girlfriend's uh, palace also. And, and his wife, you know. And, uh, and his own and, and his uh, favorite wife's um, uh, palace as well. So, uh, and, and there's a discussion of the, uh, you know, and, and the Chazal get really into that and what that means and what's significant. That really, from the outset, it was never, it was never, destined to succeed because Shlomo Melech was lacking in his dedication to the project somewhat. You know, you can't compare him to somebody today, but um, it would be very unfair to underestimate the greatness of Shlomo Melech, but that he was, uh, that, you know, that, that, that conflict of interest that he had within himself uh, undermined to a certain extent the, um, the, the project of the Beit HaMikdash, which the whole purpose is to say that I am this very powerful king, but... All that I have is harnessed only for the purpose of Kiddush Shem Shamayim. That's the whole purpose. He did a really excellent job of demonstrating that and of being Mikadesh Shem Shamayim in the world. But the fact that he had certain underlying uh, personal issues held him back. And that's, that's the whole story of, so of, of Sefer Malachim. Uh, the imagery in the Beit HaMikdash <clears throat> of Shlomo, the sexual imagery or, you know, Different faces of animals, or whatever. Right. None of that is reflective of his personal. What, what, what sex, sexual imagery? There's no sexual imagery. <coughs> the, 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 the,
it's in the in the um, no, I don't think any of that is taken as a critique of his uh, of of uh, any of the design of the Beit Hamikdash. What the sexual imagery yeah. of Hashem? Yeah, together. I mean, I don't, I don't, I would want to look into what United. what that is because yeah. I don't, I don't recall it. Yeah. It was in the style of Shirashirim. Right, so it's showing how about, uh, you know, right, intimacy between. Right. But after Shlomo, the temple goes wrong. It's all yeah, wrong. It becomes, well, that's the whole thing. That's, it says that Shlomo Melech, even from the first day when they were supposed to open the doors, he overslept yeah, because he was having a tryst with, you know, Bat Paro, and then at that moment, you know, the destruction was already, you know, was already destined to happen. But that, that's the whole idea, meaning... I don't think that there was anything tainted in the Beit HaMikdash itself, but the fact that the leader was, you know, had certain flaws, those flaws trickled down to... But unfortunately, it didn't serve that purpose of unity. As soon as Rehobam comes out and we have this right. political... It didn't last long. ...debate, the Northerners <coughs> banned it. Pesach. But that was Yerobam's chid, not really Yerobam's <coughs> yeah, fault. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but, he, but that's but true. Well, Chizkiyahu brought him back, but the but the but but in the times of of uh, in the times of Shlomo, and I, the ideal was like reached for a very short uh, right. blip on the screen. Yeah, and then uh, and then yeah, because of the political because of the political divisions, and especially Yovam Ben Nevat, so that that really was the final decision that created that rupture and he and then he went about trying to create a different identity for his people by moving the Chagim to different times and all the things that he did in order to you know one of the interpretations that I saw very convincing interpretation of why he put the Eglea Zahav all the way on the opposite sides of the uh, kingdom one all the way to the south and one to the north was that, oh, you have the Beit HaMikdash that the Shekhinah is limited to a certain mm. spot, but our entire country is the, is the mm. you know, like, he's a, like I, I heard of Yoel bin, Yoel bin Nun had a nice thing. He said, basically, the conflict between Malchut Yehuda and, and Malchut Yisrael was between Jewish and Israeli. That like Yehuda was, the Jewish identity was rooted in the religion. Whereas in Malchut Yisrael, he tried to create a nationalist identity, but like everything is holy. Like, you know, and, and therefore the whole nation, the, right, or like a lot of Israeli, secular Israelis or semi-secular Israelis will say, oh, you know, uh, when, I, when I leave Israel, I have to eat kosher and, and, and observe Judaism. But when I'm in Israel, everything is holy. I don't need to do anything. Like that's exactly what the Yeruvah Menevat's idea Anyway, so that, but, but th- that was the ideal of the Beit HaMikdash. But another interesting thing, the Rambam, when the Rambam uh, introduces the b- building of the Beit HaMikdash, so he gives a little bit of a prehistory, and he says, So during the 14 years of Yoshua, they had the Mishkan in Gilgal. And then they came to Shiloh, and they be- built a semi-permanent structure, Right, the semi-permanent structure had a status almost similar to the Beit Hamikdash because of its semi-permanent state, and it lasted three hundred ninety-six years, uh, three hundred sixty-nine years, right? <coughs> Which is pretty long. Uchishemet Eli Harav. When Elia Cohen died, it it was destroyed. Ubau Lenov Ubanu Sham Mikdash. Uchishemet Shmuel Harav. So then, when 
So then they built one in Nov, and then when Shmuel died, it was destroyed. And then they came to Giv'on, and from Giv'on they came to Beit HaOlamim. Then from Giv'on they ended up coming to Yerushalayim. So I thought an interesting thing here, that do you notice something, an interesting pattern, what the Rambam emphasizes? Leader dies. Right, the leader dies and the Mikdash is destroyed. It's a, it's a very interesting, very interesting pattern. What does it suggest to you? What does it suggest? It's the Or the leadership, yeah. That the, the spiritual leadership, if you will, of, the, of, the, uh, of that generation is, uh, or the Mikdash is only as valuable as the uh, spiritual leadership. If the spiritual leadership crumbles, and we know that in the death, with the death of Eli came a totally, new, a totally new sheriff in town, which was Shmuel. So that was really the end of an era. And so Shmuel's leadership was, was you know, had it was its own era. And he had his own uh, Mikdash. And with his death meant that that Mikdash that served as the center from which he was drawing people close to Yediyat Hashem, uh, no longer was functional. And then they came to give on. Give on, it doesn't associate with anybody because then they ended up, ended up getting an upgrade to becoming the Beit HaMikdash. I saw a very interesting thing. I was wondering about this, you know, because in the, the, the whole, there's a whole issue of Bamot that they used to have, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they used to be able to make personal Bamot. It wasn't for that long, really. It was um, during the 14 years of Gilgal. Yeah. And then during the 369, 369 years of Shiloh, they weren't allowed to have Bamot because it was right. too permanent. But then during Nov Vigivon, they were. Because you see that Shmuel goes to, uh, uh, for Shaul, he goes to, they're having a, they're having a korban. And then when da- and then when uh, when Shaul is looking for David and he says, oh, he went to do a zevach when, with his family, you know, so he, he left to go. So they used to do korbanot, the private korbanot during no vigivon. But then it came back. Obviously, once they came to Yerushalayim, there were no more bamot allowed anymore, right? So I was always wondering, like, well, what's the difference between no vigivon? In Nov they also had Shmuel, and Givon they also. What, what's the difference that no vigivon they were allowed to have bamot for that time, which wasn't that long. I think it was like, uh, uh, I can't remember. It was 40 years? It was like, uh, I think the total amount of time that they were able to was like uh, 60 years or 70 years. I have to count up again. Four, the 14 years of Gilgal and then, and then the years between Shiloh and, uh, and, and uh, the Beit Olamim. But in any case, they, oh, he says here actually. You know, he says, Novagivon was Sheva Vachamishim. So there was, uh, there was, so 57 years. Plus the fourteen, so it was a, it, it was around seventy uh, years that they were was a little bit more that they were allowed to have a bamot. So the question is why? Why were bamot allowed during that time? Did you ever hear a good answer for this? No. I, I never heard a good answer, and I found one. It's not my chidush from the Meiri. It, it was bothering me, but the problem is the Meiri didn't write anything on Masechet Zvachim, so he doesn't help you in Masechet Zvachim. I had to I had to remember where else does it talk about bamot in the Shas. Masechet Megillah, because it says in ben b'magdola b'magtana ella this. Right, it talks about it in Masechet Megillah. So I looked up the Meir in Masechet Megillah, and he says a very nice answer. He says, "When were Bamot prohibited? When the when the Mikdash and the Aron were in one place. So what's the common denominator? Because we know that during the times of Eli, the the, the Aron was captured by the Plishtim. Right, it was captured by the Plishtim." And it didn't return. Shaul never asked for the Aron all those years. Shmuel never bothered to bring it back. Nobody ever asked about the Aron. It was staying 
you know, it, it was under watch, uh, you know, uh, in a private home for uh, for years. Right? For those, yeah, for 70, for 57 years, right? No, for, they didn't ask for it. So, so they, so went, and, and he said the same thing during the times of Yoshua, that because they were going out to war and they would bring the Aron out to the, the battle, it wasn't settled in the, in the place of the Mishkan all the time. It was moving around. Okay, so therefore it wasn't settled. So he says that therefore the, the Aron and the Mikdash being in one place, what does that mean? It means when Torah and Avodah are in one place, right? Meaning it's, it's in the Kedusha of the Mikdash is contingent. I mean, I'm, I'm riffing off of what he says. He doesn't say this. I'm adding, right? What is the significance of that, whether the Aron is there or not? Because the Aron represents Torah. The Aron represents Nevoah. The Aron represents knowledge of God. The Mikdash represents Avodat Hashem, Korbanot really, right? So when those two are together and therefore you have one center that represents both the Torah and the Avodah, a complete idea. So then you can't break away and make something else on the side. It would be wrong, right? But when those two things are not unified, right? So that means that there's leeway to be able to say, okay, well, I can get my Torah over there and I can get my Avodah over here and I can also do uh, Torah and Avodah somewhere else because there isn't one central place that that represents both elements of what the Mikdash has to be, right? Which is both a place of Torah and a place of uh, and a place of avodah, and and it's uh, and this is one of the uh, one of the issues, and we, we talked about it actually also in Israel. One of the fascinating questions. That's a good answer. Yeah, I like this answer. Yeah, one of the fascinating questions that comes up. Hmm? Yeah, they're not unified. I yeah. never thought of it that way. Yeah, he he just says that Aaron wasn't there, so I'm saying why 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 is that significant? I think that's that's why it's significant. Mm-hmm. But in general, there's some halachot that pertain to the exclusivity of the Beit Hamikdash. Like not doing certain things outside the Beit Hamikdash, and there then there are certain things that are meaning the Beit Hamikdash as an institution were required to promote it and 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 treat it and and maintain its exclusivity, right? But there are other mitzvot that relate to me as an individual, what I gain from the Beit Hamikdash, from my experience in the Beit Hamikdash, and how it moves me and facilitates my personal growth. So these two elements both need to be there. Now, when that center is incomplete in some way, so then the exclusivity factor is not there. And that, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense, the way, that he, the way that he phrases it. right? But I think one of the important things to realize, especially this role of the leader, in, in, uh, that, that, that the, the existence of a Mikdash is dependent upon the leadership. right? So there's another interesting, um, there's another interesting example of this when it talks about can you expand the Beit HaMikdash? Let's say you have the Beit You can expand the grounds of the Beit HaMikdash. The way that the Rambam phrases it, it sounds like you can't go further than Har Habayit. I don't know why you, how you would do that anyway. It would be complicated to do that. But it talks about Bedin Shiratul Osif al Yerushalayim or Osif al Azarot. If they want to increase, they want to expand Yerushalayim. If you look at a map, in, not in this one, but in the Makbili uh, Rambam, he shows, I love it actually, it's very modern, so you know the Makbili uh, Rambams, right? So he has a picture of a Ira Tikav today, where the border, exact border is of the original wall of Yerushalayim that has actual Kedushah of Yerushalayim of the original, then what was added during Bayit Sheni, and then what is considered today, right? But the, what I love about the map is it's like, here's Mamila, it's on the map, it's like, here's the Mamila Mall, Here's like Yitzchak Kari, whatever, the streets of today that, that you see when you're there, it shows like where they are. It's very funny. So like you literally can envision like, 
You know where Shariafo is? Oh, this is where the, the street that runs along. This is, like it shows on the map exactly where. So most of what's, what we think of when we think of the Atika, most of it is, is, within, the, uh, is within the original. But, the, but anyway, if they want to expand it, so they can do it. They can expand the Beit HaMikdash and they can expand the cities of uh, 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 the city's borders. This is because the city of Yerushalayim has certain kedusha that there are things that you can only do in Yerushalayim, like eat korbanot, eat masashini, and so on. Right? And there are certain halachot that pertain to kedushat Yerushalayim that are unique. So, in Mosifina Leir Voloala Azarot, Ela Alpi Melech, Vialpi Navi, Uvurim Vitumim, Valpi Sanhedrin, Shil Shivim Vechad Zikinim. You can only expand Yushalayim or expand the Beit Mikdash with all these ingredients. You need a king, a Navi, Urim Vitumim, yeah. and a Sanhedrin of 71. Okay? Because Moshe Rabbeinu was the one who originally established it. It says, Moshe Rabbeinu Melechaya. Moshe Rabbeinu embodied all those things and of course had the Urim Vitumim and had everything else that he needed. And the Shivim Vechad, he had the Zikinim, his assistants and so on. He talks about how to do it. Right? And then how they would walk around the border. <clears throat> and, and that's what would give the Kiddushah to, uh, to either to Yerushalayim. They had a whole procedure or they had a whole procedure of, uh, of doing it for the, uh, for, for the city and for the, for the Beit HaMikdash. But I, I just think it's really interesting because of all those things, right? Navi, we understand. Urim V'tumim, even we understand. Although what the Urim V'tumim is, is a good question. We have to get to that when we get to Big Day Kehuna. Why, why is the Urim V'tumim so important? Always talks about Ad. You know, until the Urim Vitumim. What, what, what's the Urim Vitumim? What does it represent? Very important thing, but, uh, uh, and we'll, we'll get into it. But the, uh, because that's, because part of the function of the Beit HaMikdash is to promote Nivu'ah, actually. And the Ralbag actually emphasizes that a great deal. He talks about that, but even the Rambam alludes to it in many places. And we talked about it when we were in Israel also, that this is one of the functions of the Beit HaMikdash is to, help direct a person to Nivoah. That's why at the center in the Kodesh HaKodeshim are the Kuvim and the Aron because that's, that's what it's representing. The idea of Nivoah, the idea of having a, uh, uh, you know, where, where did Moshe Rabbeinu receive his Nivoah? Me'ala Kaporet, from the, from the cover of the, of the Aron. That's what it represents. So, uh, so the, and the Ralbag goes into great detail expanding on that, on that concept. But, so we understand the Navi, we understand the Kohen Gadol, we understand maybe even Shivim Vechad Zekenim because remember the, the Beit HaMikdash is uh, also the the uh, workplace of the of the Sanhedrin. That's where they that's where they're centered. Right? That's where they that's where they sit. So what is but what's the full role of the Melech, right? And I think that's the that's really I think such an important thing that the Bet Hamikdash is a spiritual institution, but it's a political institution, right? Meaning it's a political institution that sets the tone for the entire nation of Israel and says that this is not a nation like all other nations. This is a nation that, yes, we also want economic success and we also want prosperity and we also want peace and we also want all of these things and wealth and, and all of those things. But for a pr- higher purpose, a unifying purpose, not a purpose that divides people, but a purpose that actually is that we want particularly Yerushalayim to reflect this ideal and for everybody to attempt to emulate that ideal, that everything about it, and that can only be done with a king because a king has the absolute political power. So he's saying that even the king himself is instrumental in establishing a Beit HaMikdash. For the Beit HaMikdash really to be established, it requires political autonomy, and that's the king's uh, presence in, even though the Beit HaMikdash is a matter of Kiddushah, 
It's a matter of holiness and religion and religion. The king is not necessarily a religious figure. But since the Bet HaMikdash and Yerushalayim represents what is the purpose, what is the governing principle, the ultimate governing principle of the polity of Israel, of the state. The polity meaning the people? Right, meaning of the nation. The nation that the king is directing. What is his ultimate purpose? His ultimate purpose is to bring about that's a, I, years ago in the Moran of Uchim class, we read that, we talked about the Midrash about Shlomo Melech's throne, mm-hmm. right? And the idea that the Melech Israel is a person who u- utilizes all of the resources of po- human political power for the purpose of bringing about the Malchut Shemaim, bringing to light uh, the Malchut Shemaim and, and, and bringing people to recognize and to uh, actually serve God, not to serve him. That's really the ultimate purpose of the Melech Yisrael and the Bet HaMikdash is the means through which, or one of the means through which the Melech does that. That's why there's specific halachot of the Melech, very interesting random okay. halachot. For example, Asur Lashevet, you're not allowed to sit in the, in the uh, who's allowed to sit in the Bet HaMikdash? Only Malchet Bet David Bilvar. What kind of thing is that? Well, what, but that shows you that there's a role that the king plays in the Bet HaMikdash, that he's allowed to sit down shows that he occupies a, a certain... Right, it's his, it, he has a... Right, right, he... It's he his place to, to a certain domain, extent. Yeah. Right. Even the Kohanim are not allowed to sit down, but he's allowed to sit down. Which shows you that, to a certain extent, he's the, he's the person behind it. He's the, the king. Balabait. Right, he's the Balabait Kivayachol. Meaning the real ultimate Balabait is higher, but his role is, to be, is for this to be his place that he creates and establishes... And, and dwells in there. And dwells in there to a certain extent. And even, even in Sefer Cheskel, it talks about how the king has a certain way of going in and going out and bring certain corporate. No, because, they, right, because the, the king plays a role in the Bet HaMikdash because the Bet HaMikdash is one of his institutions. It's his institution in the sense that his job is to guide the people towards adhering, becoming adherents of the true Malchut, meaning being, <coughs> being subject of the true Malchut. <laughs> That's what Hakel is, right? He's from there. That's part say, of it. Right. That's why, like, the king, when, you know, when, when Herod or whoever, you know, builds the second bed, you know, all of these, even that is through the, you know, through the means of, of, a, uh, of a king. So, but the idea of a king playing a role is, uh, is, is very significant. And, um, and one last point I'll bring to your attention. I know everyone's getting tired, including me, but uh, I, I think this is really important to see this this idea of the political role of the Bet HaMikdash, there's another interesting thing here. The Rambam has a, a very uh, famous opinion. It's a, it's a machloket in the Gemara of whether Kiddushah Rishona, Kiddushah, Nishata, Vekitshah Latid Lavo, whether the Kiddushah of Yerushalayim or the Kiddushah of Bet HaMikdash is forever, or whether it's a low Kiddushah Latid Lavo. So the Rambam splits the two things. Right? He holds that, uh, he says, when it comes to uh, he says, so This is the Perak Shishi, the end. Shishi. You guys don't know this by heart already? Okay, right. So I, I wouldn't even bother telling you. Right? So why do I say with regard to the Bet HaMikdash and Yerushalayim that the original Kedushah that they did is forever, but... When it comes to Eretz Yisrael, Inyan Shvi'it, Uma Asrot, Vechayotzei Ben, Lo Kitshah Le'atid Lavo, but the Kiddushah of Eretz Yisrael is not uh, permanent. 
only the places that Ezra came and settled during Bayit Sheni are considered to have Kedushah. The rest of it, no. Right? Only those places. So he says, what's the reason? He says, Lefish Kedushah Mikdash Yerushalayim Ibnei Shechina. Because the Kedushah of Yerushalayim is because of the Shechina. Because Hashem says, I'm going to lay waste your Migdash. Even though it's destroyed, it still has Kedusha. However, but when it comes to Eretz Israel, that's only because it is a, it was, uh, it's the, um, the uh, what's the word? Um, the kibush, how do you translate it? I don't want to say occupation because that's too politically uh, charged. Right? Because they conquered the land and it was taken from them, so So whatever conquering they did was nullified by that. It's not considered Eretz Israel. He didn't do kibush, he didn't conquer Eretz Israel. Ela bechazaka, shechzikuba. So fascinatingly, the actual original conquering of Yoshua was nullified. Right? That that was nullified. But the uh, but Ezra just coming back and settling Eretz Israel, that was permanent. The areas that he settled had the permanent Kedusha. Even though it was taken away afterwards. He says, the way that I explained in Hilchot Shumah, what does he explain in Hilchot Shumah? That it's only true if the majority of the Jews live there. Okay, that it becomes uh, mitzvah minatora. But So what's he saying? And by the way, the Ravad very famously here says, no, there was Ruach HaKodesh in our Beit Midrash that said that, you know, that we have a, we have a tradition that, you know, the, also the Beit HaMikdash Kedushah is not Le'atid Lavo and it's also Batel. Wow. And that's, a, like, that's one of the lenient opinions about the Harabayit because they... He said we really, 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 really. Uh, he says like he says in a couple of places like Ruach Kodesh came into our Beit Midrash. Oh, he says a couple times. There's no Lobashamayim. He is. I don't know. You have to ask him. I think he would just say Ruach Kodesh means we're we're really sure. We're really sure. Okay, but uh, but the idea the, the question is that Kedusha uh, Rishona is not Kidshalatid Lavo for Eretz Israel only for the Mikdash. Okay, so that because of the Shechina. But the but Eretz Israel no. So what's the difference? And also, what's the difference in Kibush and Chazakah? Uh, it seemed like Kibush is stronger. They came in, they kicked everyone out, they took over. That was negated. But the Chazakah Ezra that he came in and they just slowly, you know, settled different areas. That was permanent, even though they were kicked out afterwards. Doesn't matter. What's the difference? So Kibush versus Chazakah is easy to understand the difference, right? Because Kibush means that I'm exerting authority over the place. Right against resistance by definition against resistance. I'm asserting authority over the place, but I it's nichbash. It's it's conquered under my hand, which means that only by virtue of my continued authority is it mine. The minute I cede, my, you know, my authority, then whoever was there before fills the vacuum. It's dependent upon my political, uh, you know, uh, superiority, my the superiority of my military or whatever. Right. Whereas chazaka is a matter of kinyan. It was acquisition. Right? If you acquire something, even if you get kicked off, it still belongs to you. Right? So, so the first time that they came into Eretz Yisrael, it was based upon their, uh, you know, the, having the upper hand politically and militarily. So once they lost that, so too was their 
was it no longer their land. It wasn't their Eretz anymore. But with Ezra, as soon as he, since the way he acquired the land was through the mechanism of Kinyan, right? By settling there and it being given to them. So even if somebody kicks them off after it, afterwards, it still remains theirs. It's a matter of possession, right? It's not a matter of kibush. Kibush presupposes that you're still in the position of being a kovesh, right? Once you, once you let go, then, 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 then you, you know, all bets are off. Chazakah is a kinyan. It belongs to you, okay? So, but you still need most of the Jewish people to be there in order to uh, have tumot and masrot and all that. What does that mean, most of the Jewish people to be there? What it means is that when I give Truma, or when I give Maser, I'm not giving it as an individual. It's a national project, Truma and Maser. It's a national project, which means it has to be on our land, and, our, and the nation is doing it. The nation is supporting the Kohanim via the Truma. The nation is supporting via, via the Maser. The nation is supporting the, the, you know, the system. It's a national undertaking. It's not an individual mitzvah, even though the individual participates. But that's what it means. It has to be in the land of Israel and the majority of the Jewish people have to be there in order to have those mitzvot because the mitzvot only makes sense when there's a functioning nation that's doing this as a team, not an individual giving tshuma. Yes, the individual has to give tshuma, but that's a, it, it's a national project. It's a national activity that I'm participating in the national activity. It would be like if one guy paid taxes. Okay? It, it, it doesn't work. Right? It, it has to be the entire nation is paying its taxes. Most people do. Some people don't. But like the point is that that's how you keep the national project going. It's not an individual thing. The individual is responsible for their part, but ultimately it is a uh, it's a national undertaking. So that's the that's the mitzvot atluyot baritz. But what about the Beit Hamikdash? The Beit Hamikdash is a matter of shechina. The Rambam says it's a matter of the place which was designated for the avodat Hashem for pointing to something higher than the nation itself. Right? That's what the Beit HaMikdash does. It says no matter how powerful the king is, no matter how mighty the army is, no matter how much wealth we have, all of it is organized and ordered towards a higher purpose. And that higher purpose is above and beyond. Not reducible to any politic, anymore to any specific political arrangement or possession of a certain land or dispossession from a certain land anymore. Right? By definition, it has to be metapolitical. So even though the Bet HaMikdash is a political institution, once the Kiddushah is established, because it's pointing to that which is beyond, that which transcends any kind of political or human uh, endeavor, it, that Kiddushah is permanent, the Rambam is saying. That Kiddushah is eternal. Whereas the, uh, maybe the Ravad's idea is that you know, in the same way that other mitzvot atluyot ba'aretz are contingent upon a political, you know, the, the, the uh, uh, what do you call it? The, um, a kind of a, a base, you know, there's a, uh, there's an underlying structure that supports it. So once the structure is gone, so the Kedusha also of the Bet HaMikdash is gone because it's contingent upon having a kind of a, uh, an infrastructure. Maybe that's what he thinks. But the Rambam is saying it's two different things. One is the mitzvot that relate to the land and life on the land and the national uh, political and economic existence on the land. And the other one is that which transcends. And even though it's through a political means that we establish the Beit HaMikdash, once that location is established and is designated because it points to something higher than itself, that Kedushah is not, it can never be rescinded. It's similar to 
Uh, it, it, I think of like the idea that if a person writes the Shem Hashem, they can't erase it, right? What's the idea that you can't erase the Shem Hashem? That there's certain things that are outside of my ability to, uh, I, I can't touch it. Meaning the idea that the Shem Hashem signifies something completely beyond. That's why it says, You should erase the names of Abu Dazarah from the land, but don't do it to God's name. What does it mean? When you erase the name of the idol, you're saying it's just the imagination of a person's idol anyway. It's just nonsense anyway. It's just the invention of a person. So I can wipe it away. I can destroy it. But Hashem's name represents a reality that's beyond my grasp. I can't touch it. I can't erase it. I can't tamper with it. And that's in the same way once, even though a person created it, a person wrote that name, right? But once that name is there, it's signifying something greater than itself and greater than the one who made it. Something real. So in the same way that Beit HaMikdash, once it was established in a certain location, signifies something real and beyond any human uh, practical uh, or political uh, concern. And therefore, the Kedusha is eternal. Right? So I think it's a very, very interesting uh, concept that Rambam is bringing, but well, there's a lot more to say, but uh, it's getting late. <laughs>